0: Perfect. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Creative Talks Commercial Real Estate Podcast. Today, I invited my friend, Harry, director of Old Capital in Houston, Texas. And in this episode, we will talk about the oil price war, how it affects the Houston multifamily market, what are some of the opportunities that are available in a downturn, and what lenders are doing at this moment of the market. So um, let's start with a little bit self-introduction. Henry, would you like to do a little bit introduction of your company and also your position? What you do, please?
1: Sure. Um, Old Capital is a multifamily mortgage brokerage based out of Dallas, Texas. And I actually started at Old Capital uh, six months ago to head up the Houston market. Um, we currently have representation in uh, every city in the Texas Triangle, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio. And so I was kind of brought in to uh, bring to take over that Houston, that kind of last piece of the Houston Triangle. So um, we did a billion dollars in transactions the last two years and we do other commercial real estate types. So we, we have a focus on multifamily. We do. A lot of financing through uh, Fannie, Freddie, the agency's um, commercial banks. And uh, yeah, just uh, we have a particular niche in helping uh, investors, whether they're newer or experienced, Mm -hmm. kind of helping them get into their first, second, third deal. And more than happy to help progress them along in their journey to becoming a multifamily real estate owner.
0: Great, excellent. So the reason why I wanted to invite you to be on my podcast is because I've seen a lot of news about not only just COVID-19 pandemic, but also the oil price. Mm -hmm. And I know Houston is a city that is very heavy on the oil economy. Just like Las Vegas, we got our economy pretty much, um, I think we had a very huge hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, because a lot Mm -hmm. of the hotels, casinos are closed and the majority of our employments are in um, hospitality, food, beverage and entertainment businesses. Mm -hmm. And Houston, it's based on the oil economy. So I wanted to um, invite you to be on my show. Let's start with the first question. How's the oil price war between Saudi and Russia? In early this year, impacting the Houston economy in general, and what are some of the impacts that it had on the office and multifamily markets?
1: Sure, um, as you mentioned, you know Russia and Saudi Arabia did have a oil price war, uh, really a production cut war. I would say um, earlier this month, and fortunately, that was all kind of figured out. Um, through OPEC Plus, um, you know OPEC Plus is a group of countries uh, that has OPEC plus Russia and some other larger oil producing countries, and uh, they agreed to a oil production cut of 10 million barrels per day. And their production was pre coronavirus, and I'm using round numbers here was around 100 million barrels a day, and actually decreased it, uh, de- decreased their production by about 10 million barrels per day. And they're going to do that for May and June. Um, Mm -hmm. Unfortunately with the coronavirus uh, demand for oil is uh, estimated to decrease by 35 million barrels per day. Mm -hmm. And so you have a, you have a production cut of 10 million barrels per day and and a decrease in demand by 35. And so we still have a good amount of oversupply that's going to be happening for a while. And ultimately, that oversupply is going into these uh, reserves. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of supply that's being stored right now. And uh, that could take a little while to um, go through whenever demand does come back up. And ultimately, what that's done to oil prices, it's dropped them significantly. Earlier This month, we actually had the price of WTI, which is West Texas Intermediate, which is the uh, benchmark oil price for uh, I would say all of the United States really, and WTI is just a um, it's just the location of where that oil comes from, and it's from the Texas and surrounding area. And so, um, oil prices dropped to negative negative thirty seven dollars a barrel uh, for one day, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. Um, essentially, traders were paying these producers. To not give them oil um, now. What is how does that affect you know Houston and Texas in general? Um, it, the Dallas Federal Reserve actually does a survey of all these different um, oil companies, oil producers here in Texas, and um, they have um, asked them certain questions. And one of those questions is, "What do you need the price of WTI to, WTI to be in order for you to maintain?" your business in order to cover operating operating expenses. And so they ask them two questions. They say, what do you need the price of WTI to be in order to drill new wells? And what do you need the price of oil to be in order to maintain existing wells? Well, to drill new wells, um, WTI needs to be $50 per barrel. In order to maintain existing wells, just maintain existing wells, um, they need WTI to be on average $30 Per barrel. Now, right now, uh, I looked right before we jumped on this call, WTI is around $20 a barrel. And so we have kind of a challenge there. Um, and, you know, ultimately, that's going to lead to job losses here in uh, Houston. You know, Houston has a very um, nice concentration in oil. We're kind of considered the um, oil capital of at least the United States, if not the world. We have 4,600 Um, oil uh, and gas related companies here in Houston. And ultimately what that means is 10% of all jobs in Houston are actually related to energy Mm -hmm. and, um, and energy jobs actually pay more than the average um, wage here in Houston. And so while we, while only 10% of the jobs are related to energy, actually 20% of all wages in Houston come from energy. And so they have a they have a bigger share on their impact on the economy just because the jobs pay more. And um, not only that, there's something called the multiplier effect where, um, you know, these accounting firms and these marketing firms and these law firms that that might not be included in some of these numbers that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. they generate revenues from the oil and gas industry as well. And so um, what the Greater Houston Partnership, which is the organization here in Houston that actually um, it, uh, helps promote economic um, activity and growth here in Houston, they estimate that one third of the Houston economy is tied to oil and gas. And so um, obviously, if that's the case, when oil prices go down, it's going to have an effect on Houston Um mm-hmm. Houston's economy, not only that, on the multifamily uh, industry as well. And so, really, I think the biggest, you know, drivers for multifamily are, um, you know, revenues and expenses. Of course, if you look at any income statement, you'll see that. And on the revenue side, you'll see occupancy, and um, you'll see rental rates. And so, those are the two uh, big, big things that affect um, your income for multifamily assets. And if you're uh, losing a lot of jobs in Houston, then, you know, you could definitely see some challenges there. So right now, our unemployment uh, initial claims here in Houston are about 400,000. Um, and that's, you know, not the most up to date data. Mm-hmm. Um, we're expecting that number to get bigger. And if you were to compare that to the uh, 1980s, um, we're quickly approaching what 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 happened in the 1980s. So Houston is a bigger economy now, and has a larger population now, and so um, the unemployment rate um, in during the 1980s, energy bust was around 13. Uh, we're 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 definitely getting there. Uh, nobody knows exactly how that's going to play out, but if these un- if these jobs are being um, lost, and ultimately we're going to have an impact on uh, the, the income coming in. Now, there's also a counterbalancing uh, component to this as well, though. Uh, the counterbalancing effect is all the stimulus checks that have been coming in. So yeah. um, obviously the federal government did a stimulus check of $1,200 per adult that makes less than $75,000, and that's whether you lost your job or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got an additional $500 per kid that you had. And, but also then you have your unemployment uh, benefits as well. Texas provides unemployment um, benefits. I think it maxes out at about $500 per week. And um, if you multiply that times four weeks in a month, that's about $2,000 a month. That per year, that's about Uh, $24,000. The federal government has decided to give an additional $600 Per month yeah. for the unemployed. Right. And so we're looking at, um, if you if you can do that same calculation, we're looking at about $50,000 per um, per person, you know, that they could be making per year if they lose their job. Now, for a lot of people, that's actually more money mm-hmm. than they normally make. And so you have some counterbalancing things here. You know, we, on the on one side, we have unemployment going up. On the other side, we have all these stimulus checks coming in and um, occupancy Um, really the number that everyone's looking at is collections. That's the big number that everyone's looking at with regards to multifamily Um, Mm -hmm. collections from the property management companies um, that I have relationships with here, here in town. uh, They're telling me that their collections uh, for April were about 10% less than that of the previous month. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's a pretty, uh, you know, pretty decent drop. Um, It's, you know, not enough to put anyone under quiet at this point. Uh, but it's still pretty nice. Um, next month, they're not sure in May, you know, today's April 30th. And so here, here in a couple of days, we're going to see uh, what that's going to ultimately do to May if, if it's going to get bigger. I can tell you the property management companies are thinking it is going to get larger uh, because the people that weren't paying in April, they're expecting to also not pay in, in May. May. No. And so uh, on the plus side to all of this, I know i just kind of spout out a bunch of, more negative information. Some of the economists here in Houston are, um, they're thinking we're gonna do about a 10% drop in GDP in 2020 and then in 2021, we're gonna gain all that back. So this seems to, uh, this could be kind of a temporary hiccup in the multifamily space. Office is kind of a different story as you mentioned earlier. Um, You know, office, uh, even before coming into this uh, Mm. crisis that we're having now was already having some challenges. Mm. Um, They were at about 25% uh, uh, availability um, even before we went into this. And there was uh, uh, a a regular cadence of negative absorption going on before all this happened. And so, plus there's new office under construction about 3.5 million square feet. Um, And so right now, everyone's thinking it's going to be a while before um, the office space kind of gets below that 20, 20% availability. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at with multifamily and office.
0: Great. Excellent. And how is the construction price before the crisis and after the crisis compared?
1: You know, construction prices, um, really a factor of labor and mm-hmm. materials yep. and uh, unfortunately um, these haven't really come down a whole lot. And mm-hmm. so I expect uh, the price of construction to be about the same as it was before. In fact, um, I am hearing some supply constraints that uh, are potentially going to cause certain materials to, to have a, to be a little bit more challenged to get, it, to get a hold of, which could yeah. increase the time it takes to complete construction. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, obviously the longer you're holding an asset before it's generating income, the more costs there are associated with that. And Mm -hmm. so um, I do think a lot of the construction projects that already are happening right now, lenders don't want to take back a half completed project. So any construction project that's already in, that's already in process is likely going to be completed. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't see I don't see I don't expect to be driving on the road and see any half completed multifamily uh, Mm projects
0: and I think that um, ties to our next question so Mm -hmm. I did a little bit of research about the Houston uh, multifamily market before I invited you to be on my podcast of course I have have to do my homework right beforehand so um, one of the reports it's either from a big national brokerage firm the report says The Houston multifamily market was expecting to deliver 17,000 units in 2020. And obviously, this report was released before the COVID-19 pandemic and the oil price war. So, and you were speaking about the construction process, you know banks won't take back a half completed project and what are some of the things you see that developers or lenders are trying to figure out to continue complete the project and also the leasing period the lease up period for on the multifamily building
1: right so yeah as i said before you know any anybody who's already under construction on a project the absolute worst type of asset is something that's half completed um, Ultimately, the problem becomes, you know, you don't want two different general contractors working on the project, and so you, mm-hmm. ideally, you want that general contractor yep. to continue um, working on that particular asset. Mm-hmm. Um, I foresee, so I foresee those projects now for new construction projects. Now's uh, a little bit tougher time to get a new construction project kind of off the ground. Um, mm-hmm. I'm expecting to see you know lower lower leverage on some of those types of projects if you're using a commercial bank. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the construction industry, is not only just ground up construction, but it's also um, you know improvements of the property as well. So, if you're going to doing any type of renovations on a particular project, mm-hmm. you're also going to be using contractors. Mm-hmm. And some of those um, multi family owners have pared down. You know, they'd had plans to use some of their budget on loans that they already had on renovations. However, they decided to hold off from those renovations and uh, use that cash as kind of liquidity um, during this time. So some of them have decided to uh, hold back from that. I would say that if you wanted to continue with some of those, you could, so long as that you had uh, strong occupancy and strong liquidity, you could you could continue doing that. Um, if you think that you could ultimately get occupancy increase from that, or raise rents from that, you know the problem with continuing with some of those improvements is do you really think you're going to be able to raise rents in this environment. And uh, leasing is still happening. You know, I don't, I'm not sure how many people are following this, but uh, apartments are doing virtual leasing now, where yeah. they um, they have you can go online, and you can see a, either a 3D uh image of the apartment unit that you'd be renting or i've even heard of um uh some of these leasing agents facetiming or facebook video messaging them and walking them through these apartment units and mm. you know this leasing is, is still happening so it's it's not like uh that's not occurring i would just say it's probably you know not necessarily the most conservative approach to continue on with some of these mm. um construction projects.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you seen any developers or investors negotiating with their lenders on yes. either their construction <laughs> loans or you know heavy rehab loans, bridge loans?
1: Right, right. So um, I will say that the multifamily um, owners that um, are in the middle of some of these projects in terms of negotiations. Um, as I said before, you know, they might use um, a they might instead of using some of that money to, to continue on with some of these improvements, they'll actually hold that back and use that for liquidity instead. Uh, it puts a real challenge on lenders because lenders on these construction projects underwrite to an as complete appraised value mm-hmm. and they expect the value of that property. They're giving a loan amount based upon what they expect the value of that property to be, I haven't seen any, you know, particular, particularly unique negotiations other than instead of using these budgets for some of these improvements, deciding to hang on to that as liquidity instead. And that's really for uh, rehabs as opposed to full-blown construction projects. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and does your firm or do you know any of the lenders are doing a lot of the payroll protection programs?
1: So old Capital not. Yeah, like Old it. capital's not uh, doing uh, participating participating in that program, but I do know a lot of people that are participating in that program. and really the multifamily investors are benefiting from that because mm-hmm. they can go to their property managers who uh, a lot of them are not all of them, right? Like the gray stars, you know they're I, I'm guessing they're not going to qualify for that program because there's a 500 employee, um, minimum benefit, Mm -hmm. but the, um, smaller multifamily properties, uh, multifamily property management companies, they're ultimately going to be able to benefit from that. And here's how they're going to be able to do it. They're going to be able to get these loans to pay their staff. Mm -hmm. And if they're forgivable, they're gonna be able to pass those savings on to their multifamily investors. And so, um, that's that's really going to be the benefit for for them, and it's a good thing that I think that's the case because I imagine if uh, there's certain you know things that you there's certain things that owners might do in terms of of wanting to decrease their property management expense if their collections are coming in lower, and so if you want to keep those property management employees employed, mm-hmm. then the multifamily owner can't take advantage of that themselves. They have to do that through their property management. Now, if they have their own property management company, that's a different story, and some of them do.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, speaking of multifamilies, um, so one of the book I read that I also recommended to you two weeks ago is Am I Being Too Subtle by Sam Zell? And his mm-hmm. philosophy is that there are always opportunities in mm-hmm. either in any time the market's circle, and there are certainly opportunities out there in a slowing market or the downturn. So speaking of Houston multifamily market, do you see some value add or distressed asset opportunities?
1: So that's a great question. And I have already gotten a lot of phone calls from uh, investors looking for some of these distressed assets. And we haven't seen any significantly distressed assets yet, or at least I haven't. Um, and the reason is uh, because it takes a little while for this yep. to mm-hmm. hit real estate. Um, yeah. And so I think we're gonna see more of that in the coming months. Um, as I mentioned before, with all these uh, stimulus coming out and helping these uh, tenants ultimately pay their rent, uh, I think once that stimulus ends, and we get a little bit further on, we can see some more challenges. Um, I think the opportunities are gonna be more um, geared towards properties that are not fully occupied right now. So, and what I mean by fully occupied, I mean a, a lot of uh, these multifamily assets are stabilized, and those likely aren't gonna be that where the opportunity is. I think there's gonna be more opportunity in some of these turnaround projects that investors took on uh, pre-coronavirus. And they were maybe at forty percent occupancy, fifty percent occupancy, mm-hmm. and you know they got a bridge loan, and now they're um, sitting with a fifty percent occupied occupied property, and those might be a little, that that needs improvements in order to, to get tenants. And I think that's where you're likely going to be able to see more opportunities to find distress distress assets. You know, there's uh, the great thing about bridge loans is that they're a little bit more aggressive. They cost a little bit more, but they're a little more aggressive in what they uh, give you. Uh, On the downside of that though, it's more risk. And um, when there's more risk and whenever there's downturn, that's when you can have some challenges. And so uh, now if you got a bridge loan to 12, 18, 24 months ago, and um, your property's now fully occupied, you don't have anything to worry about. It's not just if you have a bridge loan, you're, you're potentially in problem. I think Fannie and Freddie uh, getting into those types of loans um, have been a really great choice for multifamily investors because they um, have a very standardized process mm-hmm. um, that's really applied to almost all their investor, all, all their borrowers. And you know they've uh, they've immediately came out and were offering forbearance to um, any any anybody who' was showing distress in, in their um, portfolio so long as that distress came from the coronavirus. Um, now the bridge bridge lenders you know that's on a case-by-case basis you don't know what type of agreement you don't know how their bridge lender felt about all this and how much of a leash um, these bridge lenders gave their borrowers. so I think that's one opportunity uh, in terms of finding um, some of these more distressed assets. That were uh, that are low have lower occupancy. Um, you know some of the other opp- opportunities. You know right now it's kind of a refinance market as opposed to an acquisition market in terms of the lending world goes. Uh, you know there's going to be less acquisition loans this year than there were last year, and so more people are going to be looking to potentially refinance. And uh, I know everyone's been saying that you know historic you know rates are at all all time lows. And that while that is true, rates have been going down since the 80s. You know, I mm-hmm. looked up something the other day and saw interest rates um, for the 10-year treasurer was around 15% mm-hmm. in 1980. So for the last 40 years, you could you as a lender could really come out and say, hey, rates, you know, rates are at historical lows compared to the last 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is definitely is the case. I think there's got to be some type of floor. You know, if you look at the 1980 10-year treasury at 15%, you look at the 10-year treasury as of uh, today, I was looking at it, it was um, 0.65% around that area. And, um, you know, in my opinion, it's like, could rates get lower? Uh, And I would say, unfortunately, yes. You know, I don't know how many people are looking at some of these yields, around the world, the German 10-year bond is in the negative territory right mm-hmm. now. Um, the 30-year bond is in negative territory right now. So rates could go lower, but I think we're getting really close to the bottom. Um, and now it seems like it could be a good time. So long as you're, um, depending on the your expected holding period of the asset, yeah. now could be a time, good time to get into a long-term fixed rate.
0: From my experience, I had one lender who said that it's better because I asked her about a renovation, like a multi family heavy rehab project. And then she said it's better to wait for like a month or two. Because mm-hmm. even though the rate is pretty low right now, but some lenders out there might not be able to give you a high LTV as before mm-hmm. the COVID 19 pandemic. So if you really want to um, get a higher, um, leverage, then she suggests me to, you know, wait like a month or two. Right. Yep. And then um once after the rehab, we can always get like a Freddy or H um HUD refi.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If you're doing any type of acquisition, I think the longer the longer you wait, you're gonna have a an opportunity to get a higher loan to value or any type of rehab or any type mm-hmm. of construction. I think the longer you wait, the better this gets you're gonna be able to get more leverage, uh, Fannie and Freddie are still doing business. Um, Mm -hmm. the one thing that they've added on to their credit requirements is a 12 month principal interest, taxes, insurance, and replacement cost reserve. So they want Mm -hmm. 12 months of that upfront, um, just to make sure you make it through. Uh, but if you're looking to refinance, and maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you're at 65% loan to value already and you just want to lock in a long term rate, Mm -hmm. then, um, and you don't need any higher LTV, that's kind of where an opportunity would be to uh, potentially uh, refinance. Refin, and, yep. You know, yep. benefit. And despite, you know, even though loan to value is not going to be that great right now, yep. but maybe that's mm-hmm. not important to you. Maybe you're a little more conservative. I've, I've been hearing investors say that uh, they've been through a couple of these cycles already. Mm-hmm. Uh, o Capital actually has a uh, bi weekly, bi monthly webinar going on right now. Mm-hmm. If you go to oldcapital.com or oldcapitalpodcast.com, you should be able to uh, find it there. Um, mm-hmm. We had four very uh, experienced multifamily investors on, and the longer they've kind of been in the business, the lower the leverage they've uh, wanted to take on.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, every like my boss, he has been through a couple market cycles as well. And mm-hmm. he learned his lesson before 2008, you know, everybody in Las Vegas and Phoenix was over leveraging, you know, getting 110% loan on a piece of vacant land. And then mm-hmm. suddenly everything just crashed in the global financial crisis. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would like to I like to listen to a lot of advice from people who have many more years of experience than I do, because they mm-hmm. have been doing a lot more. A lot more transactions, a lot more experience than I do, and Mm -hmm. obviously they learned a lot of lessons from all of those years of experience. So always listen to their advice, and you're right. Sometimes it you have to be careful of how much you leverage, and cash is king. Cash is king. Mm Hmm.
1: Mm Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. ahead.
0: Um, But for this one, COVID nineteen is not a financial crisis. In my opinion, it's like a different type of black swan event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still, I'm not experienced to be an economist and predict what will happen in the market. But um, I think there will be some opportunities out there. Like here in Las Vegas, we had 300,000 um, unemployment claims and we are a town with 2 million people in population. Wow. Yeah. So. Because we're very heavy on hotel, food and beverage, entertainment, and the entire Las Vegas Strip is closed. And for our Las Vegas International Airport, we usually have over 40 million visitors a year Mm -hmm. to visit that small town. But nobody's traveling. There's a travel ban. And even after... They declared the pandemic and everybody can get back to work. I still don't know whether there will be a lot of people still like to travel or they think it will be safe to travel in an airplane and stay in a hotel and stay in a giant casino where everybody smokes and circulated air. So I think Las Vegas is different from the Houston market, but um, yep, um I just hope that everybody's safe and be healthy. And we can all get back to um, where we're at before the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yeah, it definitely, you know, people have been saying in Houston, it's kind of a double black swan event because of the coronavirus Mm -hmm. and oil. It sounds like Vegas is having a bit of a, I mean, I I don't want to say a double black swan event as well, but since it seems like there's a lot of traveling involved, you know, the Vegas it's, it's potentially getting hit double hard than maybe yeah. some of these other areas.
0: I agree with you. When I was listening to you talking about the Houston market, I think that um, I think the oil and price employment will come back after um, the pandemic is over or the state governors say it's okay to get back to work, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. because of the coronavirus, some people – might not want to travel in the next 12 or 18 months. It's like a much longer after a Fed impact. Mm -hmm. So that is what I'm worried about about Las Vegas. And because, you know, some companies, they say that the employees cannot travel
1: during Mm -hmm. the
0: pandemic or um, some companies don't want to host a convention. And we're a big town on conventions our las vegas convention center is one of the largest if it's not the largest convention center in the united states right yep yep so anything else that you would like to add henry
1: no nothing else for now i actually uh really appreciate the opportunity to come Thank and be on here I really love your uh, channel and have been thank watching you. a lot of your videos and really enjoyed all your guests So I appreciate you letting thank me you. be a part of this and uh, yes. yeah thank you so much
0: thank you and if anybody has any questions or they would like to reach out to you it's okay if they connect with you on LinkedIn
1: yes that'd be great I have my contact information there as well uh, just go to my LinkedIn page and click the contact info and you'll see that right there
0: Yep, and also Old Capital has their own podcast. It's more about the multifamily side. So right. if you're interested, if any of the audience who are interested in multifamily um and especially Texas market, feel free to reach out to Henry. Great. Thank you so much, Menja. I really thank appreciate you so it. Much, everyone, thank you. Okay, let me